Okay. It is great to hear conversation and to hear this place filled with words and connecting. That's fantastic. So we are starting a new series um, this week. Well, actually, we started it a couple of weeks ago, but uh, we will be having Kathleen share with us in just a little bit. But before we do that, we're going to take a moment in our service to engage in a practice that in some places is referred to as prayers of the people. And this is something that we have started to explore and experiment with over the last number of months. And uh, it's a way of us just pausing in our gathering and reflecting and praying together, sometimes for specific needs, sometimes giving space for us to, to bring our own uh, needs and questions to God in prayer. <clears throat> Excuse me. And uh, so this morning, we're going to invite Shane to come up, and he's going to share a little bit. Um, some of you may be aware of an attack that happened at the University of Waterloo about a week and a half ago. And uh, so Shane's going to share some words about that, and he's written a beautiful prayer that he's going to lead us in as well as we sit and take some time to reflect as well. So it's a somber thing to think about. Um, so if, I know it's a heavy thing, so if, if you need to have space and, and kind of skip out of this part, I totally understand. But last Wednesday at 3.30 in the afternoon, a student who had just graduated went into a gender studies class. He was not a member of that class, and he asked if the professor was, who the professor was and whether it was a gender studies class, and then he proceeded to pull out two knives and attack the professor and some of the students in the class. Two, uh, one of the professor was um, injured, and so were two of the students. None of the, none of the, the injuries were life-threatening, thank goodness, but the fact that it was a hate-motivated attack, it was, he didn't know the students, he didn't know the professor, it was just because he was very worked up about uh, issues of gender and um, the LGBTQ community. And so this has really shaped the campus as a, as a uh, lecturer at the University of Waterloo and as someone who identifies as gay. It definitely has been an interesting, well, interesting is a, maybe not the right word to use, but hard thing to think about, like, what does this mean for our community? The university is a bit reeling about like how the response was, and a lot of the students are feeling um, unsafe. And so I just thought it was really important for us as a church to, to think about this, to pray about it, and to um, even think about what is our participation in issues of gender, and um, how can we respond to people around us. So I wrote this prayer, and so it's always hard to write a prayer for everyone to pray, so if the words I chose are not the words that resonate with you, but I hope that you can find your own words. Um, it's a responsive prayer. I'm going to read the, the, the words in the light, and then you can read the words in dark. Um, so hopefully it'll be on the screen. God, you are the source of life. Your love endures forever. Every person is fearfully and wonderfully made by you. Love endures forever. Every person is your beloved child. Your love endures forever. We acknowledge that oppression related to gender often has roots in communities that claim your name. We cry for mercy. Convict us of the ways that we have belittled others because of their gender. 
Show us the ways that we have intentionally or unintentionally contributed to an environment where hate can grow. Cry out for mercy. For the professor and the two students who physically and emotionally bear the wounds of this violent attack, we pray for healing. For the students who witnessed this violence and had their educational space violated, we pray for healing. For those in the University of Waterloo community that may feel afraid and unsafe, we pray for healing. For all those who've had their gender used against them and feel targeted by this violent act, we pray for healing. And for the perpetrator who gave himself over to hate, we pray for healing. God, our source of life, your love endures forever. We cry out for mercy. We pray for healing. Amen. Thank you, Shane. It's a beautiful thing when someone in our community can put words to thoughts and feelings that maybe we didn't even know our souls needed to say out loud. So thank you for that gift today, Shane. And I am going to invite Kathleen to, um, she's going to share with us today. She's going to preach. And uh, Kathleen is new to our community, and so perhaps some of you have met her. She has dove right in um, in lots of ways with our neighbors group and around tables and service and learning Sundays and all kinds of ways to get involved. And so I can say on a personal level, we've had some coffees, and I've just really appreciated getting to know Kathleen over the last number of months. And, um, and I think that we as a community are going to be blessed by hearing her words and her experience around this concept of the love of God today. So welcome, Kathleen. Good morning, everyone. Can you hear me okay? Excellent. It is, as always, good to be with you today. Maybe a little bit more trepidatious behind this stand here, but... I'm thankful to be part of a church community that pauses to acknowledge the pain of others, that prays for healing, that invites us to consider the ways that we may have intentionally or unintentionally contributed to the pain of others, a community that depends on God's mercy, love, and healing to bring us to places of greater redemption and restoration. So thank you, Shane, for inviting us into that space this morning. As Melissa mentioned, I'm fairly new to the Kitchener, Waterloo, and Elevation Church, and I've really honestly been enjoying my experience of both. When I was asked if I would consider speaking as part of this series, I was hesitant for a number of reasons, but when Steve sent an email explaining that the series we would be invited into was based on Ephesians 3, verses 14 to 19, I felt literally compelled to say yes. Anyone who has ever received a card from me, be it for Christmas or their birthdays or as a note of encouragement, over the last 20 years, would find my signature at the bottom of that card with the scripture reference Ephesians 3, 14 to 19 underneath. For this reason... 
I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power, together with all the Lord's holy people, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. This is my prayer, that I, that we, that everyone would grasp and experience in ever-increasing measure the lengths, the breadth, the heights, and the depths of the love of Christ, that we would know this love, that we would be rooted in and filled and overflowing with this love, that this love of God would pour from us into all others. When I moved to Kitchener back in December, I took on the part-time role of chaplain at a nursing home in the area. It was a lovely experience. There were so many unexpected, beautiful, redemptive moments. And I speak of it in the past tense because I recently transitioned from employee to volunteer in order to accept another full-time position elsewhere. But one of my last conversations before transitioning was with this lovely woman who had been raised in the church, was a devout and faithful Christian. And we had built up a bit of a rapport over a short time. And on this last day, and she knew it was my last day, she came with a number of pointed questions for me. She asked about my faith and if I ever struggled or had doubts. She asked me about my views of hell, the state of the church, and society, and my understanding of the character of God. You know, just surface-level chit-chat. <laughs> I took a moment and discerned, and I thought, it's safe. It's safe for her, it's safe for me to share vulnerably and authentically. And in the end, after we had conversed for about an hour, she shared that she had never known a woman chaplain, a woman pastor, a woman vicar. And then through tears, she added that she had never heard any pastor ever talk about the love of God like that. She had often heard pastors speak about the anger and the wrath of God, the judgment of God, but rarely as God being a loving God. And in those moments, we wept. Part of what I offered in the midst of that conversation is that I don't fully understand why we cling to or are reluctant to let go of our understanding of God as angry and judgmental and wrathful. What is attractive about that, that we want to hold on to that understanding of God? I'm not certain what the answer to that is. But I wonder if part of it is that we unintentionally present God to others in our own image. I can be prone to unforgiveness anger. We can be prone to hate, bigotry, prejudice, violence, power-mongering, and wanting revenge and justice to be measured out in a certain way. So perhaps that is how we are inclined 
to envision God. But then I wondered with her, why would that be a God I worship? That's a God like me. I worship a God who is so unlike me in my resistance towards unconditional love, grace, and mercy. A God who is so beyond me in this regard. A God whose love for me and all others is so deep and wide and high and long that I need the power of the Spirit to even begin to grasp it. A God who in relationship with, I hope to become more like. A God who loves in the ways I want to love but can't apart from God. It is God's unconditional, extravagant, limitless love that makes God, God, and me not God. As I said, by the end of our conversation, we were both in tears. And I think because we had in some small way grasped a bit more understanding of the beautiful dimensions of God's love. And so over the next four weeks, Elevation is going to be journeying together to explore the dimensions of God's love. And in a world filled with division and fear and uncertainty, love has the power to bridge gaps, to heal wounds, and to ignite transformation. And this morning, I've been invited to focus on the length of God's love. Now, there are a variety of aspects on the length of God's love that we can explore. For example, the length that God would go to to reveal and extend God's love to us. From choosing incarnation to enduring the torture of crucifixion, defeating the power of death and inviting us into resurrection that Christ made possible. Those are all the lengths, just some of the lengths that Christ would go to to reveal God's love to us. But another aspect of the length of God's love is as a measurement of time. This divine love transcends the confines of our human comprehension and defies all boundaries. It extends beyond our understandings of time and space, and I think, sometimes even logic. Just as the universe continues to expand, so does the love of Christ. Reaching far beyond, I hope, I trust, I believe, reaching far beyond our expectations. The length of God's love is eternal. And God's love has no expiration date. I love the verse from Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 3. I have loved you with an everlasting love. Psalm 136 says, His mercy endures forever. It's an everlasting force, this love that extends throughout eternity, embracing all people with this unyielding compassion. It's a love that is willing to endure. It's a love that is willing to forbear, to wait as long as it takes for us to be willing to receive. Canadian pastor, theologian, and author Brad Jerzak, in his book, A More Christlike God, a more beautiful gospel, explains that for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. 
God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. In other words, Jesus does not come to announce condemnation from the Father, nor even to save us from the condemnation of the Father, but rather to reveal the love of the Father for those already perishing and suffering condemnation. Instead of a punishing judge, the Father of Jesus waits and watches for and then runs to those who have come to the end of themselves. God waits. God is patient with us, even in our moments of despair, in our moments of doubt, in our woundedness, in our rebellion, in our pain. When we feel lost and when we feel disconnected and far from God, God is there waiting. God's love is there patiently waiting for us to embrace it, beckoning us to release the burdens that we carry, to remove the masks that we wear, to tear down the walls that we have built up around our hearts, inviting us to root ourselves in this love that surpasses understanding, a love that accepts us just as we are and inspires us to become more like Christ. We see this truth revealed time and time again in Scripture. James Calvin Davis, in his book, Forbearance, writes, Like a jilted lover, God heroically pushes through our betrayal and patiently waits for us to find our way home. Like a disrespected father, God waits at the gate, patiently hoping his prodigal children will return. Which is to say, no matter what we have done, no matter what has been done to us, God loves us and the love of God pursues us. And then James adds that God is not passively patient. The story of divine grace is one of active longing, persistent entreaties, and increasingly creative strategies for helping us to find our way back to God. God also reflects a willingness to take a long view, to invest in the time that reconciliation apparently will require. God is willing to play the long game. He certainly did in my life. I didn't grow up in the church. God waited 20 years for me to even step foot in a church. God's love is a steady, unwavering presence, ever-present and unyielding also true of my experience of God. It is a love that stands firm in the face of adversity. It is a love that pursues us, offering us reconciliation and redemption and transformation. But it is at the same time always only, always only, a love received by our consent. And I wonder if that piece speaks in part to some of the questions that I get with, if God is so loving, then why? And you can fill in the blank. And Jerzak points out that God consents to our reluctance to consent. God consents to our reluctance to consent, resulting in this painfully slow but inexorable transfiguration of our world. Our reluctance may be slow, and it may slow the transformation of this world, but we are assured that because of the length of God's patient, everlasting love, 
this world will be transformed. His kingdom will come. In 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, we're reminded that the Lord is not slow about his promise, as some think of slowness, but God is patient with you, not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance. I like the way the message paraphrase puts it. God isn't late with his promise, as some measure lateness. God is restraining God's self on account of you, holding back the end because God doesn't want anyone lost. God's giving everyone space and time to change. And it's here that I wonder, and I have, I don't know. I don't know, I have no certainty. But it's here that I wonder, it's here that I hope that the lengths of God's love transcends, transcends some of our preconceived notions, our limited understandings, our boundaries of comprehension, that it exceeds our expectations. Believing that God's love is eternal, that it stretches across generations and lifetimes and beyond, believing that God's love is patient and never runs out, believing that there is no deadline with God's love, that there is no expiration on God's love. I want to believe that everybody comes to a point of receiving. I don't know how, I don't know when, I don't know if it's in this life or the next, but I lean into that hopefulness that because God's love has no expiration, no deadline, because God's love is so long and so patient, we all will receive it. And maybe I'm wrong in this leaning, but at this moment, I am trusting in the lengths of God's everlasting, unending, patient, and unfailing love, which means that God will always love us with a love that even outlasts and overcomes death. Again, Jerzak points out that in Revelation chapters 21 to 22, there is at least a hint that the prodigal father will wait for us, invite us, and keep the doors open for us until we're ready to come home. He'll wait for us forever. Far be it for me to shorten the length of God's love. The length of God's love is so expansive that it stretches into eternity, and yet, at the same time, is near to us, as close as our very breath. It is not simply a distant concept, but God's love is a living reality, a force that permeates every aspect of our existence. And as we, in ever-increasing measure, come to understand and embrace the length of God's love, as our roots reach deeper into the soil of God's love, as we are nourished by God's love, we are able then to extend a more Christ-like love to others. The love of God, to the degree that it is received, invites us then to see the divine spark in every person that we encounter and to treat every person with kindness and empathy. It invites us to work together following the example of Christ, empowered by the Spirit to create a world that is rooted in this love a world rooted in justice and peace. And love can be an ethereal word, but it's a practice. 
It's an action. It's a verb. And it is through this practice of Christ-like love, a love that knows no bounds, except for, and I want to emphasize this, healthy boundaries, that we are able to contribute to God's kingdom come. God's will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And as we receive the love of God in ever-increasing measure, we're able to love others in ever-increasing measure. We're able to partner with Christ in the restoration and reconciliation of all things, co-creating with Christ a world where all beings are cherished, respected, and united as those created in the image of God. And with this, I am reminded of the poignant words from Teresa of Avila's poem, Christ Has No Body. Christ has no body now but ours. No hands, no feet on earth but ours. Ours are the eyes through which he looks with compassion on this world. Ours are the feet with which God walks to do good. Yours are the hands with which God blesses all the world. Yours are the hands. Yours are the feet. Yours are the eyes. Yours are the body. Christ has no body on earth but ours. Returning to my friend from the long-term care home, my very first real conversation with her upon starting my job there allowed me to serve as the compassionate hands and feet of Christ in a way that contributed in some small way to restoration and redemption, allowing her to experience for herself greater depths of God's love and mercy. I had just concluded a Good Friday service at the home where I had served each person communion, and I noticed that one of the very devout residents was not at the service, so I went up to the room to see if they would like to receive communion, and they said that they would. Their roommate is this same woman. And as I was leaving, she stopped me and asked, do you know when I would be able to receive communion? She was at the service and didn't take communion. And I said, can you help me understand what you mean? And she said, I've been divorced, and I haven't had communion in decades. And my immediate response is, you can have communion right now. Right here, right now, I will serve you communion. And then we had more conversation. She goes, is this okay with the church? I'm like, I'm part of the church, it's okay. Um, We talked more, um, and I thought maybe she was from a Catholic background. And I said, I think some would allow and some would not. She explained, I'm not Catholic, I'm Anglican. I'm like, oh, it's okay. I'll serve you communion. I said, I'm free Methodist. We come from that Anglican tradition. So I'll serve you communion. And as we did that, tears just started coming down her face. Because for so long, she had been marginalized. She'd been on the outs. She didn't understand God's love for her and God's invitation. And here God is showing up and saying, yes, come. Not me. Not me. I just got to be the hands and the feet. And they were invited back into community. They were invited back into relationship in a way that was very meaningful for them, that allowed them to commune in ways that they had been left out of. And I thought, if I do nothing else in this role, that was enough.
Teresa of Avila invites us to contemplate our role in manifesting this limitless love of God in the world. Her poem suggests that the loving presence of God is not confined to the heavens or to the altars of our churches. Its length, the length of God's love is extended through us. Her words remind us that the length of God's love is intimately tied to our capacity to embody it. The more we open ourselves to God's limitless love, the more we realize that it can never be exhausted or depleted. The more we open ourselves to God's limitless love, the more we're able to offer others love. We love because God first loved us. And the length of God's love is limitless. Would you pray with me? Gracious Creator, we thank you for your love, your love for all people. No matter what we have done, no matter what has been done to us, you love us completely, unconditionally, extravagantly. You have never loved us any less. You can never love us any more. Yours is a love that heals. Yours is a love that transforms. Yours is a love that redeems and restores and reconciles. Yours is a love that sets us free. Lord, in those places where we feel wounded and hurt, in those places where we feel marginalized and oppressed, in those places where we have marginalized and oppressed, where we have wounded, Lord, in those places where we are struggling to feel your love and your presence, in the places where we feel chained and not free, Would you help us to experience your love in flood-like fashion? Would you soften our hearts? Would you open our hearts? Would you heal our hearts? Would you convict our hearts? Would you work in our lives, God, that we might receive the full measure of your love? May your love fill us and flow from us, and may it transform this world that we are living in. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Justice and mercy and peace. In Jesus' name, amen.